Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. I know that's correct because I checked. I checked. It really is Wednesday. I check my phone all the time, as I'm sure you guys do. Every day just kind of feels the same. Every day feels the same, which means it's more work. It's more Mississippi State stuff. We're working hard to get information for you out here. Our great team over at jeanspage.com. We've got a lot of good information for you. A lot of it's free. I don't know if you guys know that. You can like our Facebook page, but uh, you should be a VIP member. But if you're not, there's still content over there for you to enjoy. A lot of free content as of late. Right now on the front page of Gene's page, you can go read a Q&A that our colleague Paul Jones did with Dave Emmerich, who is the new chief of staff of Mississippi State football. He, he oversees the recruiting team, but there's a lot more to it than that. Pretty much every, any administrative thing that Mike Leach needs done with football, it's got Dave Emmerich's fingerprints on it. You can also go read today that Mississippi State, uh, we're hearing from sources that Mississippi State's home opener will be moved to September 3rd. We've got a, uh, a schedule story there from Dave Murray. The game against New Mexico will be uh, be a big one. And it's one. I know, and I know people hear that. It's been in a win for a while. But we finally have some, not an official confirmation, but enough confirmation that we feel comfortable to say that's going to happen. So go ahead and plan rather than seeing State play New Mexico on Saturday. We're going to play them on Thursday night. 
will likely be the first major college sporting event post-coronavirus. It's interesting. It's ironic. Do you remember the first the first the first team to fly after 9/11 was South Carolina when they flew to Mississippi State. We had the big patriotic show and all that sort of stuff, and uh, it's interesting. Mississippi State once again helping our nation heal. You can also read about KJ Costello. I caught up with him yesterday. We're going to talk about him a little more after the break. His first public comment since signing with Mississippi State. Very very intrigued by KJ Costello. You're gonna you're gonna like him. I'm just telling you now. This kid's a communicator for sure. I want to thank our good friends over at Bulldog Burger Company. You can get a to-go order. You can order online at eatwithus.com. You can use that for the entire family of restaurants, but you can order for Bulldog Burger right then and there. You can call in at both locations and go in and pick up your order. There is no longer any in-dining service temporarily, but we still encourage you when in town, enjoy the great great cuisine of Bulldog Burger Company. Two locations now to serve you right here at the flagship on University Drive right here in Starkville, Mississippi in the Cotton District and then on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by, check them out. And listen, I understand these are uncertain times, but uh, you know, a good restaurant quality hamburger will cure what ails you. Give our fine friends at Bulldog Burger Company an opportunity to serve you. Two locations, again, Starkville and Tupelo where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. So let's get into this K.J. Costello thing. I don't know if the guy's a little bit, uh, you know, reclusive or dialed back or buttoned up a little bit, whatever phrase you want to use, but uh, there's a lot of discussion with these grad transfers. A lot of those guys, they've been through the recruiting thing before, you know, where they you know, they, they couldn't attend a ball game without having to do an interview. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, and I, I'm part of that industry, okay, so I'm not being critical. I'm just saying I, there is a grinder when it comes to the recruiting process for these high school kids. You know, I, I don't, every time they make a tweet about a new offer, I don't call them. You know, there was a time and day that, that was different. But these grad transfers, you know, many of these guys have gone through a more, you know, organized and structured media experience at Division One schools. And so, you remember, you know, like last year, you know, Isaiah Zuber didn't want to talk after he made his decision. Isaiah Zuber didn't want to talk. I don't think that we ever interviewed him at Mississippi State. There may have been one opportunity, but I don't believe, uh, you know, we had many opportunities to meet with him. I know when he first arrived at Mississippi State, he said he didn't want to interview because he hadn't done anything yet. I guess we're still waiting for the interview. But, uh, you know, Tommy Stevens last year, uh, very, very, uh, you know, cordial. You reach out to him and say, hey, listen, man, thanks for reaching out, but I really don't want to do any interviews right now. I just want to focus on what I've got in front of me, and I'm, you know, i got to graduate. And so there's a, you know, K.J. Costello was kind of the same way. Hadn't done a lot of declarations other than that he signed with Mississippi State. Didn't recap his official visit, but I was able to catch up with him. Used a, uh, a contact close to him. That kind of you know interceded on my behalf and, and shared with him that I you know that I was a very positive Mississippi State guy. We just wanted to get some information. And as I told KJ, listen, I don't want to talk about the virus, man. I want to write some stories about college football. KJ was all in. It took us a little while to get together, but we did. 
Now, he is still working through his final academic requirements there at Stanford. He says that he will be done this week. He is a week away from being finished. His final exam is uh, April 2nd for his final courses, and he'll be finished. His initial plan was to make the move to Starkville on April 3rd. Well, that's obviously up in the air at this point with the travel ban, and, and you know you can't enroll anyway. So all of that is still up in the air. But he is very eager to get here to begin work, not just under the supervision of your coaching staff, but he wants to get to know his teammates. He wants to have an opportunity to get out there and throw the football around. He's healthy. He's excited. He's motivated. He's ready for the next chapter. And after speaking with him, there's a couple things, that, that some you know, conclusions I think you can draw from what he's had to say. And first of all, let's, just, let's be honest, okay? Let's not delude ourselves. Mississippi State was not on his radar before Mike Leach became our coach. And Mississippi State was not in the market for a grad transfer until Mike Leach became our coach. So this is clearly a Mike Leach situation. This is a guy that uh, has a great amount of respect for Mike Leach that wanted to play for Mike Leach. I believe that is going to be a consistent theme among quarterbacks. We expected Dan Mullen to be able to recruit quarterbacks at a high rate. He didn't. He didn't, but Mike Leach's situation seems to be a little different. And people say, well, Steve, he recruited Dak. Listen, Dak was not highly recruited. Love Dak. I, I broke Dak's commitment to Mississippi State after big dog camp. And at that point, Dak didn't have offers from TCU or LSU. They came in late. It was a different dynamic. But we're, we're going to be recruiting blue-chip quarterbacks and signing blue-chip quarterbacks with greater regularity. Now, Mike Leach is a guy with that junkyard dog mentality and looking for guys that have a little something to prove. I think K.J. Costello was in that group, despite the fact that he has had a tremendous amount of accolades throughout his career in the Pac-12. There were a lot of people that expected him to declare early this past year and be in the spring draft. He gets injured and plans change. And I think he believes he has something left to prove. I think he shows up in Starkville with a chip on his shoulder looking to show everybody, I'm a big-time quarterback. I can play in the National Football League for a long time. People who feel they have something to prove typically outwork those who don't. Mike Leach has lived his life with a chip on his shoulder as if he had something to prove. I'm about, I guess, 75 pages away from finishing Swing Your Sword. And if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. Mike Leach kind of enjoys being that guy that people never see coming. They th Just when they think that they've got you figured out, Mike Leach will hit you. That's the thing when you look at this, this great combination of K.J. Costello, a proven Power 5 quarterback with over 6,200 yards passing, going into the most quarterback-friendly offense in all the Division I football with the greatest mastermind of the air raid in, in our lifetime. Nobody in the history of the forward pass has attacked space and attacked defenses the way that Mike Leach does. And for the first year, a bit of a stopgap guy to come right in to run the offense while these other guys begin to kind of you know cultivate and acclimate. But one of the things our friends at Washington State have told us is, you know, Michael signed a grad transfer just on the random. 
you just out of nowhere. He'll, he'll just go sign a – it's when you think you say, okay, well, next year so-and-so will start. He will add more competition to that room because he believes that all of those guys should constantly be working hard and competing for the job because competition drives excellence. That is just the reality of life. And so that he will add new guys to that room every year. You know, everybody goes out and says, oh, we're just going to get one more quarterback, and, and then you, you don't. Then we go out and add a couple more. You know, and so that's what they said. Don't, don't ever take anything for granted when it comes to Mike Leach and recruiting quarterbacks because he is always going to push and push the quarterback room to be bigger and better. And you may hear some noise around me, and I apologize. I've got people here. Along those same lines about quarterbacks, Alan Walters announced yesterday that he'll be transferring from Vanderbilt to Mississippi State. He initially will be a walk-on, initially. If he comes in and works hard and plays well and, and um, integrates into the Mike Leach offense, and he could be a guy that could earn a, a scholarship later. If you go back and look at what Washington State's quarterback rooms have looked like, I mean, it's been a lot of cast-off. It's been some guys that are kind of on the trash heap of college football. You know, grad transfers with uh, kind of unremarkable resumes, walk-ons, you know, people that have come out and done, uh, you know, some big things. And so, again, K.J. Costello is likely the best and most polished quarterback that Mike Leach has ever started with. You go back and look at Texas Tech. I mean, he had some, you know, B.J. Simons and uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Graham Harrell all had big years there. But this is a different dynamic. And I, th I think one of those things, too, I think there is a, there's an evaluation piece with Mike Leach that is different than most. You know, a lot of people out there, they would like to be able to go get, you know, the Peyton Manning type guy. Um, I don't think that appeals to Mike Leach. So it's going to be interesting because you've got K.J. Costello, who was considered one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. A guy that uh, has really, you know, played exceptionally well at times in the Pac-12 and won some big games. So it's one of those things, too, the timing, the timing of it all. That's one of the things that, that Costello kept mentioning to me. The timing of all this is really the story, the timing of it. Because K.J. was very interested in going to Washington State. You know, Anthony Gordon is a guy that uh, a lot of people would expect to have a you know an opportunity to play professional football for a while. Outgoing quarterback at, at Washington State. So Mike Leach, again, the Mad Hatter that he is, was looking to add competition to his room. I don't think it's one of the situations where anybody can ever be comfortable with the depth chart. And so the way that KJ tells it, it makes it seem like, you know, I was his exact words were I was intrigued by the opportunity at Washington State. And then, like, the next day, Mike Leach gets this job. And then all of a sudden, K.J. Costello and Mike Leach are talking about coming to Mississippi State. And so those are the things that I think about. It's that, you know what, if, if Mike Leach had a relationship with this guy after playing against him for three years, and uh, Mike Leach 3-0 against Stanford in the uh, K.J. Costello era, I am sure that is something that they will remind each other of regularly. But hearing Costello tell it, you know, he has kind of watched in awe of what Mike Leach's quarterbacks have done against Pac-12 defenses. 
In addition to all of that, KJ shares that he's had a great respect level of respect for the SEC. KJ shared that he had a great amount of admiration for Mississippi State. He saw what Dak Prescott did here. It made Mississippi State very intriguing when he began to consider his options. And his final two were Washington and Mississippi State, as we all suspected. But in the end, this is about the opportunity to play for one of the greatest minds in the game, one of the most prolific offensive coordinators in the history of college football, one of the best quarterback developers in the history of the game, against some of the best defenses in the country. And so I asked him, and it's kind of a pointed question, I said, you know, listen, this is an opportunity for you to come in and kind of prove yourself and, and kind of advance your stock in the eyes of uh, – of NFL scouts, and he kind of brushed aside the question. He goes, you know, this, this is really a chance for me to go play another year of college football, more so than it is for me to have an opportunity to, to boost my stock with NFL scouts. He was almost a little bit offended at the question, and, and you know what? That's exactly what I wanted to hear. This is about going out here and blowing stuff up. Now, everybody benefits from K.J. Costello playing well. If K.J. Costello plays his way into a, you know, first or second round third-round grade as a quarterback, then we have had an incredible year. I don't know if there's a lot left for him to prove uh, to many people, but after speaking to uh, some people close to him recently, he feels that there is. And he didn't want to go out and end his college career after an injury-plagued year. I guess he would have played, played four games last year. And I know immediately there's these comparisons to Tommy Stevens that people have because, well, you know, he's a grad transfer. Well, it's got nothing, Tommy Stevens has nothing to do with K.J. Costello. They play the same position. They're both grad transfers, and that's really where the comparisons end. Tommy Stevens, and God bless him, fine young man, was not a proven starter. K.J. Costello is. K.J. Costello was injured last year. Tommy Stevens was injured his entire career. And again, God bless him. The guys, the kid, poor kid, just fragile. And I know that, that that sounds almost offensive and insulting. I don't mean it that way, but he's a guy that's been injury-prone throughout his career. He was injury-prone at Penn State. He was injury-prone at Mississippi State. There's a common denominator there, and it's him. And, and I love these folks say, well, you know, I'm not just so big on these grad transfers. Hey, well, you know, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow would likely disagree with you. The more that this happens, there's going to be a mixed bag. I mean, you know, Arkansas went out and had two grad tra transfer quarterbacks last year. You know, Nick Starkle didn't do much. You know, it's just part of the deal. Those guys, again, were not as accomplished as K.J. Costello. Now, it's going to be a different offense. It's going to be a different scheme. It's going to be a different personnel group. That You know, you're not going to have the relationship that you had with your guys at Stanford, you all came in together and you kind of grew up together. There's, there's an esprit de corps there. But this is really kind of a business semester for Mike Leach, Mississippi State, and K.J. Costello. That's one of the benefits, too. You know, if we do have some extended practice sessions in the spring, and yeah, it's one of those things, you know, they haven't officially changed anything. They're going to reconvene April 15th. But K.J. Costello will have graduated by Stanford by then. Political science major, too, just in case you're wondering. And so then K.J. will have an opportunity to join the team sooner rather than later. And there's going to be a little grace with all this stuff, too. Okay, because everybody has been 
intruded upon by this virus, whether you caught it or not. Everybody has been affected. And how a football team kind of puts their practice schedule together is pretty low on our list of concerns. But that's the business of the NCAA. Once you get through safety and fair play, it's about protecting your teams, your franchises, and that sort of stuff. And so there will be a certain amount of grace in all of this. And somebody asked me on the Gene's Page message board today, you know, Steve, do you think that he'll be able to, to go through practices in spring? And, and I, I do. I think, you know, the more that I think about it, I think as long as he has fulfilled his end of the requirements as far as graduating Stanford, I don't think there's anything that, that, that should stand in his way. Now, that might require a waiver or whatever, or permission from the NCAA. I, I just don't see any, any, any issue with that at all. I know it's the NCAA we're talking about. But I think right now that that's, um, that's probably something that can be reconciled very, very easy. And so when you look at all this, too, and I always try to find a silver lining in everything, I try, is if we do push spring practice back, which was going to be very awkward anyway, because essentially you have guys out there competing to be the backup. Because KJ Costello is a starting quarterback in Mississippi State. Okay, let's just, you don't go sign a guy like that. Uh, to come in here and hold a clipboard. And he's not going to agree to come here and do that sort of stuff. But because of the fact we haven't had any, sp any spring practices, everybody will start even. And then you've got a good chance of having your starting quarterback, K.J. Costello, go through all the drills and all the implementation and all the install and everything like that. But that's where we are. You can go read that piece, but I'll tell you, there's just a few things on the cutting room floor. And one of the things that he talked to me about, one of the things that he likes about the offense is the decision-making. That he is a guy that, that has a lot of input and all that sort of stuff. It's not as simple as, okay, you know, uh, Osiris Mitchell is going to run this route, and then we're going to run this route, and you just hit the guy that's open. There's a lot more to it than that. And one of the things that I've been told from some of our colleagues at Washington State is, is you know, that one of the things that he places a premium on is intelligence. He wants an incredibly intelligent quarterback that can process information quickly and make decisions quickly. After speaking to K.J. Costello, I don't have any questions about that. And that was one of the things about Tommy Stevens. And again, it, it's you know, it may be unfair to compare them, but the parallels are pretty similar in that respect because both come in as grad transfers. You know, I, I thought that Tommy Stevens had many of the same issues in week one that he had in week 12. We still struggle with that corner blitz. I don't know that we can pick things up. And listen, sometimes people disguise their blitz package. I get it. But I thought at times, Tommy Stevens couldn't process information as quickly as he needed to. And as a result, he hung on to the football and took sacks he shouldn't take and, and forced passes that he shouldn't. And at times, things got a little bit erratic. I don't think that's going to be a problem with Costello. This is a guy that's played a lot of snaps in the Power Five. And also, too, that you, you will be amazed when you hear him speak, how articulate and intelligent that he is. You're going to be impressed. This, I'm telling you, the kid's a winner. I'm eager to see it all happen. I just, I, I'm just curious to see what does Mike Leach do with a guy that's kind of been that heralded quarterback rather than that guy that's been a junkyard dog. That, that'll be interesting. I mean, it really will be. It really will be. We, uh, we got our, our uh, switch to Hawthorne. I don't know if you guys have done it. Maybe you should. I'm uh, really excited about it. Continue to be very impressed with the products. Visit them at hawthorne.co. It's one of those things, too, and I've shared this many times. Nobody ever told me how to buy cologne. 
you know, people just bought it for you at Christmas and you use it till it wore out and then you got some more. You know, that's just kind of how it worked. I just kind of liked whatever the ladies in my life liked at the time. You know what I'm saying? Nobody ever said, hey, listen, you know, this is what works for you. Go to Hawthorne.co right now. Go take the quiz. It won't take you but a couple minutes. And they will pair you up with products that meet your preferences. And then once you've done that, you can pick out those products that you're interested in. And you can order today. They'll ship them right out to you. I'm, I'm impressed with the packaging everything. It's customer service. It's been a great experience. You can set up replenishing shipments or just try it once. But I promise you, once you've put that cologne on, you're going to begin to get compliments and people are going to say, you know what, that's great. What is that? It's hawthorne.co, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, use promo code Boneyard and save 10% off that very first offer. I'm telling you now, this is the best cologne I have ever worn, without a doubt. All right, so let's get in the top 10 list. I noticed that my 80s TV show list, I had, we had a lot of heat on that one. I, I didn't get as much blowback on the 90s bands that I expected. I think you guys understand you're not going to get anywhere with me when you're uh, trumpeting for Green Day and people like that. Just not going to happen. Just not going to happen. But uh, And I shared in the show that uh, there were some shows that began in the very late 80s that really had their heyday in the 90s that I consider 90s shows. So we're going to go back to that later, maybe one day next week. But I was amazed at how passionate people were about that. I can't believe you didn't pick this. I had so many people message me privately. And they're like, hey, what's going on? People hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. So the top ten list is uh, today is going to be a little different. I'm going to go back to music today, but I'm not going to go specifically for a decade. We're going to go top ten southern rock bands of all time. Top ten southern rock bands of all time. I'm a Mississippi kid. Uh, grew up listening to all this stuff, raised on the cornbread, like all of you. And so I feel that uh, certainly have a, uh, you know, I've come by this knowledge, honestly. So before we get started, I'm going to give a hat tip to a few bands that didn't make the list. And and there were more of these than I expected. I had to really, I mean, there, some of these were different, man. Some of these I looked at, you know, I, I really agonized over some. The honorable mentions, we're going to go Black Oak, Arkansas. Black Oak, Arkansas and Jim Dandy. Great Southern Rock Band. Little Feet. Little Feet. Go listen to them today. Go check them out. And then one of my favorite Southern Rock songs of all time, Train, Train by Blackfoot. So Blackfoot just missed the list because I wanted to put in some contemporaries. I didn't just want to go with the, you know, the, the traditional bands. I wanted to go with number one of my favorites. But I wanted to share this with you guys. But Blackfoot's Train, Train, if we're just doing Southern Rock songs, I think Train, Train's a top five, brother. I mean, I do. I love that song. It's been covered many times. Warren had a version of it. But uh, Blackfoot, the original, remains the supreme one. Number 10 on the list. Relatively a newer band to the Southern rock scene, Blackberry Smoke out of Atlanta, Georgia. They have a huge following. I mean huge following. Everybody you mentioned about modern-day Southern rock bands, that's the first name that everybody mentions, Blackberry Smoke. Go check them out. You'll like them. Number nine on my list. There are a lot of other people that, that were bigger fans of this band. It had, They had a few monster hits. But that's the Marshall Tucker Band. Marshall Tucker Band. I think, can't you see, 
that's one of those anthemic Southern songs that every Southern gentleman's sung at some point in his life. Can't you see what that woman's doing to me? It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. But that's my list, number nine. Number eight, another band that, uh, this was a, a band that was comprised of studio musicians that uh, really just kind of played the support of everybody else. That's the Atlanta Rhythm Section. I like the Atlanta Rhythm Section a lot. I, I don't know that they got their just due, but um, Imaginary Lovers, it's a great song. I think my favorite one is So Into You. I, I, I've listened to that recently. That's one of those things whenever sometimes when I'm working and kind of doing some research, I put on some of that stuff because it's, uh, it's stuff that I like and enjoy, but it's also a little lighter. Number seven on the list didn't have a huge catalog, but man, they had a great sound. That's the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. If you want to get to heaven, you got to raise a little hell. I, I learned to play the harmonica for a short time in my life because of that song. Because I was so inspired when I heard it. And I played the harmonica for a few years just for fun. Got the harmonica as a gift a few times. Played a lot of Aerosmith, that sort of stuff. But it was because of, because of that song. I thought that what an incredible lead instrument. And what an, an amazing song. Jackie Blue's another big one. But the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. You young bucks who think you know Southern Rock, if you don't know the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, sir, you don't know Southern Rock music. Number six, another contemporary one. One of my favorites. I have seen them a half dozen times. Distant cousin of mine's a lead singer. Blackstone Cherry out of Kentucky. They are the descendants of the Kentucky Headhunters, for those of you older guys that have been around a few 24 hours. Blackstone Cherry did a great version of Marshall Tucker's Can't You See? Blackstone Cherry, I have every album from start to finish. They have gotten to be a little more of a jam band late. Last time I saw them was at Rick's right here in Starkville with the Cadillac 3. I didn't really care to see the Cadillac 3. I was here to see, see Blackstone Cherry. Absolutely loved them. Put on a killer show every single time. You could start anywhere, uh, but I love the uh, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea album. I think that is the best one start to finish, but there are hot points on every album. Number five on the list, and this is kind of a controversial one because people say, well, Steve, I don't really know if I consider them children of rock. I do, and that's CCR, Credence Clearwater Revival. I, I think they're definitely a southern rock band. Some other people would, would say otherwise. Uh, I really like them. Uh, I, I think they kind of typified in their music a lot of things about the South. And so um, go check them out. they got a million hits. You know them all. And for those of you young guys that don't know who CCR is, the song Center Field that you hear at Duty Noble, that's written and performed by John Fogarty, who was the lead singer of CCR. Number four on my list, one of my favorite bands of all time. And to call them a Southern Rock band is, is almost to limit them, but I think they're one of the best bands in the genre. That's the Black Crows. The Georgia Peaches, man, I, you know, I love uh, Shake Your Moneymaker, and they, they've been on other lists of mine. I love them all, uh, uh, and every year on Good Friday, it's a tradition for me, I listen to the song Good Friday. I love the Black Crows, I really do. I'm not going to belabor the point, we talked about them again recently, but I think they are, of this generation, the best Southern rock band. Number three, 
they are scheduled to perform at the Mississippi State Amphitheater. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's 38 Special. 38 Special. It's supposed to have uh, the Molly Ringwalds open. I think that's right. Uh, I don't know how anybody could could not like 38 Special. So many great hits. Hang on loosely is another great one. And uh, even when they had the lineup change, they did Second Chance. I mean, it's just so many great songs, 38 Special. Uh, if For you young guys who are looking for some – for some southern rock with a little punch, that's where you go. 38 Special. Not really any country twang in their stuff, but man, they're great. Number two on my list, and I could have gone on, I could have gone, I, man, I could have done it. I could have pulled the trigger and put these guys number one, but I didn't. I, I just could not finish it because there are just so many more songs by the number one artist that I like. But number two on my list, it's the Almond Brothers. Really like the Almond Brothers. Uh, Statesboro Blues, I think it's one of the great, one of the most underrated songs of all time. I love their sound, and not just Midnight Rider and, and and things like that. If you get deeper into the catalog, and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's one of those bands, even if you're unfamiliar with the album, you can just put on an album that maybe you know one or two songs on and just let it play, and uh, it'll entertain you. It'll feed the soul, man. But number one, I mean, how, who could it be? If it wasn't for Leonard Skinner, they they are they are the band that kind of typified and defined the genre. I don't know how anybody in the world couldn't be a fan of Leonard Skinner. And I, I, I encounter people every once in a while, and it's like they get they look at Skinner and they say, "Well, you know, that's all redneck rock." Well, you know, we're, we're a lot of rednecks, you know. But uh, I think when you go back and look at this, I mean, this is this is the music of Mississippi. In many respects, you go back and look. This is one of those things, you know. Second helping, Street Survivors, everything. You can just go on and on and on. I mean, they're 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 huge hits on every single album, and tragically, their career was cut short. And listen, I, I'll be honest with you. All due respect to Johnny Van Zandt, but I don't, I don't listen to any of that stuff. I don't listen to any of the new stuff. You know, when when that plane went down around Gillsburg, I think the spirit of Skinner died in many respects. I know they're out there still celebrating the music, and God bless them. But uh, the newer stuff just doesn't appeal to me. But uh, when I go back and I listen to, to Simple Man, man, that, that's like that's like John 316, man, in South Mississippi. It's like Amazing Grace. But that's the top ten list for today. Send your complaints or your suggestions uh, to me on social media. I'm always happy to respond. And uh, some other people have offered some good ideas, and I, I, I'm going to get some of those. And uh, I will give you credit for the idea when I do your list. So, Top 10 Southern Rock Bands of all time. I want to remind you, too, our friends at Campus Book Mart, still happy to serve you. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, the whole crew there, looking to take care of you. You're going to have Mississippi State maroon and white clothing needs. You can fill them at campusbookmart.net. You need to go by and check them out when you can. They'll even give you curbside service. If you don't want to get out and interact with people, they'll take care of that for you. But you can order online. You can have it shipped directly to you. We'll, we'll save you on shipping just by being a loyal Boneyard listener. The phrase and page is BSR. It stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And mom, dad, on behalf of your kids, I'm going to tell you, everybody wants Mississippi State clothing. Your wife wants it. Your husband wants it. The kids want it. There's nothing that makes us happier, really, to get that surprise gift. You open that surprise gift up, and yeah, it's a, it's a new Mississippi State. You can't wait to wear it. You know what I'm saying? It's like I can't wait to get back on campus and go to a ball game. 
I can't wait for Jake Mangum to see me wearing his jersey. You know, that those kind of things fire me up, you know. And so uh, treat everybody, treat yourself, campusbookmart.net. So let's get into a couple other things that are, that are in the news involving Mississippi State. We've had the big transfer thing with basketball. And so I want to address many, much of that because there's a lot of misinformation out there, and a lot of confusion, some emotional reactions about all of that. But there are five players leaving the roster, four of them leaving the scholarship roles. Okay, so many of you have heard of some of this. But let me go ahead and kind of break this down for you. Okay, so freshman guard Devin Butts, Elias King, freshman, also leaving, transfer, and junior forward Prince Aduro leaving, junior forward, probably sophomore Prince Aduro, junior forward Keyshawn Fizel, a Lawrence County High School product, also leaving, hearing Southern Miss for him, and then E.J. Datcher, who did not play this year, will elect to take a grad transfer opportunity somewhere else. I have heard that Southern Miss has some interest in Keyshawn Fazell, so we'll see how that, that develops. But when you look at the, the sheer number of transfers, right out of the gate, people have an emotional reaction and think, hey, something's wrong. Well, the one thing that I'll say is, okay, there are some things that are wrong with our men's basketball program. But this is not part. This is not a symptom of a bigger problem here. We have some guys here that uh, really were not contributors, and so they have an opportunity to go elsewhere. I guess in many respects, you can suggest that they were processed out. I think the bigger concern here is, is when you've got freshmen like Devin Butts and Elias King. You know, did we miss on the recruiting trail? Did we misevaluate these guys? That to me, that's the bigger question, not the fact that they're transferring is that how, how do we have such a quick gong on a freshman? We, I mean, they barely even got to play. You say, well, you know, you see them every day in practice, and I, and I get it. But clearly in our evaluation process, something was lacking because why would we sign a couple players like this only to see them transfer? Uh, and, and, you know, maybe they're driving the bus on that. But when you have this many it raises an eyebrow, but I wanted to kind of reassure some folks here. We have some talented players coming in, but this is not reason to panic. So let me, let me run some numbers here for you, okay? And again, I'm not I, the first thing before I even get into this. I am in no way trying to diminish the ability, the character, or anything whatsoever in relation to any of these young men that are leaving the program. In no way whatsoever. I'm not one of those guys that says, well, you know, we didn't want them anyway. That's not the attitude that I take. Now, while I believe this is, you know, we're making some room on the roster, uh, I think it's an unfortunate situation when any guy leaves Mississippi State, no matter what the sport is, any student athlete, male or female, if, if we have, we thought enough of them to sign them and then things, you know, you know, barring them getting into some type of trouble with the law or something, and then uh, we eventually uh, see them leave our program, there's a couple of issues here. Either we did not properly evaluate them or we have not been able to properly develop them. But either way, the, we, we, we own some of the failure here. And there's some guys you sign, you get them in here, and you find out they can't play. And then you've got to go back and look at where you went wrong. It's not as simple as blaming the players. So I'm not blaming any of these players. But I just want you guys, because people are like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do for our team next year? We're, we're going to be, Number one, we're going to be fine. 
And there's some guys that are on the roster that didn't play a lot this year. So as it stands now, you know, we know that uh, Reggie Perry is expected to enter the draft at any moment, and Tyson Carter has graduated. Then you add in these five. So that's seven guys that were on the scholar on on the roster that'll move on. Six of them scholarships. So let's look at uh, Elias King. He was a freshman. He was a freshman forward. We we were really pretty high on him. You know when we signed him, he was one of those guys too. When you begin to kind of break it all down, that's one of the things too that that I'm always a little bit hesitant, especially when it comes to basketball recruiting. There is a tremendous amount of hype when it comes to basketball recruiting, more more so in my mind than football. There's not as many misses in football recruiting. And there, there's some per capita, but you know what I'm saying? It's like usually usually the guys that have a ton of offers that are ranked high usually end up being pretty good as long as they stay healthy. It's not like that in basketball. There are a lot of guys that go out there and they, they have a great summer tournament somewhere and uh, look good in an AAU event, and then the next thing you know, Everybody's offering; they don't turn out. Well, if you look, Elias King, out of Sewanee, Georgia, was a four-star. This is a guy that was, uh, you know, thought, thought to be a pretty good player. He was a number five player out of the state of Georgia, and he was a guy that you uh, had some options. Obviously, you know, he was a guy that uh, at Lincoln Academy High School that had uh, a lot of people that recruited him. South Carolina, Xavier, Georgia, Auburn. Matter of fact, he took official visits to South Carolina and Xavier. This guy had over 20 offers. But he's not leaving our program. But this is not a guy that, uh, you know, you just say, well, you know, maybe we tried to outsmart everybody and maybe we thought that, you know, that we could, you know, the kind of, I.J. Reddy is a guy that kind of reminds me, you know, I think we kind of stole I.J. Reddy. I mean, he... His offer sheet was not very impressive, but he had a good career here at Mississippi State. But this is a guy here, Elias King, that was much more highly recruited and uh, much more higher ranked, and then he's moving on. Devin Butts, another Georgia guy out of uh, out of Stratford Academy there in, in Macon, three-star guy, not necessarily highly heralded, but he had some Power 5 offers. He took four official visits that I'm aware of. Another guy that had about 20 offers. Took official visits to Mississippi State, Georgia State, South Florida, Wichita State. Wichita State also kind of burning up the transfer portal right now, too. But this is a guy that, you know, got out and made some things happen, and uh, now he's moving on. The ninth, number 19 player in Georgia. Interesting, to say the least. But that's two players. You know, last year, Mississippi State signed five players. Elias King, who's transferring. Iverson Molinar, who is balling, Devin Butts, who's transferring, and Quentin Post, who's still kind of figuring it out. Then you add in the transfer of Gaywin Smith, and that's that's the one guy I think a lot of people, a lot of our fans are unaware of. You know, he's he transferred in from Western Kentucky. This is a guy that's 6'10", uh, 250 or so. This is a guy that's going to make us a better team next year. This guy's going to play a lot of minutes for us next year. And so when we begin to think, oh, we're losing all these guys, you know, that, there are some guys out there that you aren't very familiar with, and he is one of them. But of the five guys that you added, two of them are gone. I get it. It's a little concerning. I do. 
but when you look at the numbers here, the last king put in six games. Six. Scored ten points. Twenty minutes the entire season this year. Keyshawn Fazell was the guy early in the non-conference schedule, provided some really good minutes for Mississippi State. I really thought he, he looked to be in the best shape of his career. Appeared in 24 games. Played 254 minutes and scored 33 points. You know, down the stretch in SEC play, uh, we he wasn't in the rotation nearly as much. Probably best for him to move on and find another opportunity. Prince Aduro, he was a guy everybody was all excited about. And, um, again, not going to belabor the point here, but a lot of people say, well, he's going to come in and be able to give good minutes and be able to give Reggie a blow. Did very little, very, very little. 21 games 85 minutes of action. He averaged four minutes a game and scored 25 points on the year. Devin Butts played in six games, just 21 minutes, scored six points. So what I get back to is the problem here, I don't, I don't have a problem with guys transferring. What I have a problem with is signing kids that, that apparently can't play and then them transferring. And people say, well, you know, Steve, you don't ever know do you get them, and that's true. But if we're ready to give up on them already, that tells me that we did a poor job of evaluating them. But anytime these things happen, there, a lot of people, there's an emotional reaction. Because I've seen this stuff on Facebook, and, and many of you have posted that and are listening to me. But it's not the issue that I think many people are making it out to be. These, a lot of these guys are non-contributors. That said, I don't expect a lot of freshmen to contribute the way that Iverson Molinar did. I think Iverson Molinar is potentially the uh, the future of our program. I think he's probably the poster boy for our program. But Robert Woodard at this point is expected back. DJ Stewart expected back. You know, Molinar obviously will take up those minutes that Tyson Carter had. Abdul Adu will be back. And we'll bring in some other guys. You know, it's just how it all works. You know, that it's it's a different day and time in men's basketball. The transfer portal has made celebrities out of some of these kids, and so there are some of them that want to move on. Some are our decisions, some are theirs. But uh, one of the things that I think about, and this kind of leads me into the next topic with baseball, is the transfer rule. And uh, I have mixed feelings about it because one of the things that I have always wor worried about, if you grant everybody immediate eligibility, is I think it opens up the door for tampering in a major way. Let's say for an example, and I mentioned this before, what if you had a guy like DeAndre Brown? He struggled academically, but he makes it into Southern Miss, and then he is electric. If we're going to allow guys to transfer without penalty, without having to sit the year, then what's to stop you know, in Alabama or in Florida State or in LSU to contact, work through a high school coach or, you know, a, a relative or a distant friend or whatever and say, hey, listen, Alabama says if you're willing to come, transfer, they've got a spot for you. I think that opens the floodgates to some things that, that would be difficult. The flip side of that is, is how do we, do we punish every student athlete because we're expecting some malfeasance with a handful? And I think you could put some safeguards in place to kind of limit some of that. I think anybody wants to transfer up like that in the middle of their career, I think that probably prompts an investigation of sorts. Maybe not a 
you know, enforcement investigation that, that ends with penalties. But I think it leads to probably some due diligence that, um, you know, to, to ensure that there's not basically free agent poaching out there. But when I look at guys like Devin Butts, Devin Butts played in six games this year. So he's lost a year of eligibility. So now, now he's got to sit next year too, you know, because there's no division, you know, the, what's 326 division one schools. And so let's say he gets an opportunity to go and, and play at Georgia state. The kid's got to sit out too another year. That, that, that hardly seems fair to me. That's not fair to Devin Butts. It might've been unfair for Mississippi state to sign him and put him in a position that he can't be successful, but it's unfair. I think of the NCAA to take a kid like this who, who didn't play much this year, I'll have to sit again next year. You only get a short time in life to play ball, so I get it. I, I think in situations like these, you should loosen the language a little bit in some of that. And that's one of the things that I'm hearing is that the NCAA, in this current stoppage of play, and we've heard they were trying to make some changes to transfer, is they're trying to change some of the language in the waiver to allow some of these guys to be immediately eligible. And then, of course, that leads to a whole summer and offseason of people complaining about the inconsistency. And in more cases than not, the details of these cases are not made public. People just see, well, what's the difference? I don't understand why so-and-so got to play and so-and-so didn't. You know, that it's because we don't know all the details. And to be honest with you, not all of the details are our business. But in situations like this, I think the only fair thing to do for a guy like Devin Butts is say, you know what? Hey, kid, when you find your next spot, we're going to let you play. You know, I've heard privately that um, there's a good chance that, um, that Keyshawn Fazell will be able to play this year. And he's not going to be a grad transfer. I understand he's still, you know, still some classes short of being able to be a grad transfer. But if this waiver, the language in the waiver is allowed to change, I think you're going to see that. And what's going to happen, from what I understand, talking to people in the industry, is the impetus for all of this is going to fall to the school they're transferring from. So let's say, for an example, if Keyshawn Fazell decides to transfer to Southern Miss, if Mississippi State does not oppose the waiver, then there is a good chance that waiver is going to clear. Because they don't want these, you know, I think the NCAA many times is kind of uh, unfairly maligned, and I'm not defending them, but I think there are some situations where, again, we're not privy to all the details, and then a guy had not made eligible, and everybody says, oh, there's the dead gum NCAA again. But it's the membership, more times than not, that leads the charge on all of this. And so I think the NCAA is kind of like, you know what, Mississippi State, if you're okay with it, we're okay with it. If you're okay with this kid having immediate eligibility, then we would be too. Now, I think in matters of uh, if you're transferring to an, to an opponent or within the conference, I think that complicates matters. But I am of the mind that we ought to be able to let these guys transfer. I think you give them a one-time transfer because maybe there's a coaching change or something like this, or you know, or maybe they just find they can't compete at this level, and you give them the opportunity to leave and reboot their careers and not have to sit another year. And it's a little different for baseball. As the uh, you know the father of a former college baseball player, you know, I'll probably be helping pay student loans for a while. You know, basketball is fully funded. Football is fully funded. And so, you know, and they get the, they get the cost of attendance stipend and all that stuff. 
And that's one of the arguments that I've made about the, uh, you know, about people say, oh, they need to pay the players. Well, if we're going to start paying players, then we need to pay partial scholarship players first. How can we pay players when other players, just because they excel at a different sport, are still penalized? Baseball is so far beyond the rest of college sports, it's ridiculous. And so that's the thing when I think about football. Why would we give football players more money? And they said, well, Steve, listen, well, these guys pack out the stadium. Well, it's true. Baseball packs out the stadium, too. It's not as many people, but the, you know, the revenue is, is, is there. But why should Tanner Allen be penalized because he excelled at a different sport? How is that fair? You know, I don't know what kind of football Tanner Allen was, football player he was. You know, at his size and speed, I imagine he could have been a pretty good linebacker. But he chose to play baseball. So why is he penalized? Why does he have to graduate and immediately start paying back student loans? It doesn't seem equitable to me. And so there has to be some relief. And I know we've talked about this here. A lot of guys out there that maybe are not going to be professional baseball players. And I know how this thing works. There are a lot of colleges, especially the major programs, they basically plan on you being there for three years. Four at the most if you take a red shirt. But a senior in college baseball is not necessarily a good thing. It means that a guy has uh, more than likely been injured, but you don't you don't account for that. And so I, there is some proposed legislation that will give people and seniors the opportunity to come back and not count against 11.7. And if you give them some scholarship money, uh, I, I think that – speaks more to the amateur model than the rest. It's almost like we've made college baseball a, a baseball factory. And so what about the kid that it's not interested in going and playing in the minor leagues and you give him an opportunity? So, you know what, I, I was drafted in the 35th round. Now, I think I'd like to go back and finish my degree. Well, if his, he, if his head coach did not budget any scholarship money for him, then he has to be a walk-on and pay his own way. How is that fair? I just don't see how that's fair. And so there are some things I think have to be changed. And I think, let's say, for an example, when you have guys transfer out in baseball, you know, the clock is much different for them. You know, those guys, because of the fact that if you if you are a professional prospect worth your salt, you're going to be gone after three years. You're not going to complete your degree. But if, if I'm going to transfer and, uh, you know, the age – clause, you know, what makes you draft eligible, if, if that clock is working against you, then uh, you know, what am I supposed to do? You mean I got to sit again? I mean, I went, I, I signed on, you know, with uh, Vanderbilt and uh, I'm leaving here and uh, and that, that might not be a great example to use because of the way that they uh, exploit all the loopholes when it comes to baseball scholarships, but that's a different show for a different day. Let's say you signed with Tennessee. And I'm going to leave Tennessee, and uh, I didn't get to play much here. But uh, listen, I don't know that I'm an SEC guy, but I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go play. I'm going to go play Bowling Green. But now I got to sit. I could play at this level, but now I got to sit. And so then the next year I'm draft eligible, and I have a decent year, and so I'm done. So I only got to really play one year of college baseball. And then you could argue and say, well, you know, well at least he parlayed it into professional opportunity. My point being is that we've got a fully fund baseball. We've got to fully fund baseball. And if that means if there's some conferences out there that don't want to do it, then they should be like an FCS program. I think you have to have multiple levels of Division I baseball, much like you do in football. That's the only way to make this fair and equitable. 
If Mississippi State wants to have the third paid assistant and the Power Five conferences do, then they should be able to have that. But that's what that's that's how big things work, much to the detriment of the major colleges in, in baseball, is everybody has to vote for it. So you have all these conference commissioners that are supposed to vote. And, you know, we Kendall Rogers and those guys did a great job last year putting that out there about the vote. And then uh, people didn't vote as the membership expected them to vote. And the third paid assistant was voted down. Well, it's not the SEC schools that are voting that down. You know, it's these G5 conferences that say, you know what, we're already losing money hand over fist on baseball because we'll go out there and play a game and there's 100 people. And so – we can't afford to, to pay another coach. And so they weren't going to be required to pay it, but it was like, well, you're just going to be able to legally fund it. Then they're thinking, okay, well, well, these guys have an extra coach, so why would we want to give them another competitive advantage? So we're going to vote that down. And so the power brokers in college baseball don't have the say when it comes to NCAA baseball legislation like they do in football and basketball. Uh, as, as somebody told me, Earlier this week, you know, when when uh, when Greg Sankey begins to speak about football, Greg Sankey's voice carries a lot of weight. Greg Sankey can say, you know what, here's what we think, this is what we expect to happen. You know, go back and remember when when Roy Kramer and then be- invented the SEC championship game, and now look, every con- every major conference in the world now has a conference championship game because of the lead that the SEC followed, because that's what the SEC wanted. And so when Greg Sankey speaks, people pay attention. When Greg Sankey speaks about baseball, they're just like, oh, okay. It's a different deal. It's a different dynamic. As someone shared with me, the major voices in college baseball are the poor schools because you have to do what's best for everybody. You can't just say, we're going to do this because the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 want to do it. we got to do what's best for everybody. we got to do what's best for the MEAC. we got to do what's best for the Big Sky Conference. And many of them simply can't afford to fund baseball at the level that it needs to be funded. And I think the only fair way is to simply say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split off into divisions. We're going to have Division One. You know, we have like we have an FBS, we have an FCS. We're going to say, you know what? These schools are going to have complete funding. They're going to have X number of scholarships. And then these schools that don't want to fund baseball, this is what they can do. Because there are different scholarship limitations between FBS and FCS football. That is the only thing that makes any sense to me because you are never going to convince many of these smaller schools, especially in the northern half, to fully fund baseball. You are beating your head up against a brick wall. And so we have got to find a way to move the game of college baseball forward. And I think the only way that happens is us to split. And I think this transfer legislation is a step in the right direction. But the bottom line is that college baseball has got a lot of problems, a lot of things to figure out. And so that's a little bit of a rant today. So there we go. Uh, if you haven't done so, go to Stark Billings, the book. I know many of you guys are looking for something to read. Go to StarkBillingsTheBook.com. You can order Flim Flam and Stark Billings right there. And you guys are doing it. I had a report yesterday from my, from my publisher that said that we're, we're selling books every day to the website. Go do it. I know many of you are thinking, well, you know, Steve, uh, I'm not a big reader. You know, there's no sports to watch, so you might as well go read about some that are near and dear to your heart. And many of you guys are know I'm already because we're on isolation. I'm already working, uh, you know, pretty hard on the next one, the Stark Villain sequel. Uh, got about five interviews left. Yesterday, had a chance to interview Eric Molds for the book about the '93 Egg Bowl and about his experiences at Mississippi State. 
I interviewed Bill Anderton. He was a member of the 1963 men's basketball team that snuck out of the state of Mississippi and played in the game of change. He told me a lot of things that happened behind the scenes, what they knew, when they knew it, that sort of stuff. And then late last night, I spoke to Jurgis Norwood about the 2005 Egg Bowl and his experiences. And you know what? He told me the story. And this is one of those wild recruiting stories that nobody talks about because maybe most of you guys were it was in the infancy, I guess, of our industry. When Jarius Norwood was a four-star running back prospect out of Brandon High School, the governor of Mississippi, Ronnie Musgrove, took Jarius Norwood to a ball game at Ole Miss in Limousine. You know, and so Jarius and I talked about that. So we kind of get the skinny behind that whole thing. But you want to talk about wild recruiting stories? It's like there's a lot of people that are, quote, recruiting writers that are still kind of new to the industry, and they talk about, man, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like that, where the governor of Mississippi is involved with bringing a kid to a ball game. That's incredible. So we talked about all that. And so i got a couple more things, a couple more interviews to do, and then we're going to get together writing this, and we may release it earlier than we planned. I don't know yet. You know, we don't know how the printing business is going to run this summer. But I'm going to go ahead and get this thing done. I don't have a ball game to cover or a press conference to attend for some time. So uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'm continuing to work. I am not working um, any less than I was before. Just if I'm just doing it at home. I'm I'm working just as many hours and uh, looking forward to to having you guys read these stories. Man, it's one of those things, too. Like when I was listening to Bill Anderton yesterday, I got chills hearing him talk, you know, about a bunch of college kids sneaking out of their dorm and riding in three cars out to the Golden Triangle Airport and taking a plane to Nashville where they picked up Babe McCarthy and the coaching staff who had been hiding in seclusion to avoid a subpoena from Ross Barnett's office. And then they flew on to East Lansing, Michigan, and played in the game of change. And they they didn't even practice because they were so worried about process servers showing up. When they walked out for pregame warm-ups for the first time they'd seen the arena, it is an amazing story. Amazing. And I can't wait for you to read it. Bill Anderton, very good man. Very good man. And uh, he, he told me one of the uh, the things he wishes is that looking back on it, he wished they would have been able to appreciate the moment a little bit more because of its historic value. You know, but, but uh, they were just ready to go play a ball game. They were just so excited to be able to play because the, the year before, and people go back and look at the numbers and the records for yourself. The 1962 Mississippi State men's basketball team was the best in the country. It was the best in the country and did not get to go to the NCAA tournament because it was against state law for a Mississippi State-funded institution to play in the NCAA tournament because of the climate at the time. It's ridiculous. I'm so glad we don't live in those days anymore. Well, that's going to do it for today. I'll be back on Friday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.